0: I'm Anna Webb, welcome to A Dog's Life. Hey Mr Binks, you know that you're a little rehome home and you arrived at age two. Well, being a rehome, I was really lucky to be able to get all your vet notes and see exactly how many vaccines you'd been given at the age of two. Not everybody, if you're rescuing from a rescue center, will have that privilege to know what medication and what vaccines your dog has had when you bring that dog into your life. Now, this could be important, which is why we're about to jump on Zoom now And we're heading over to California to speak to Dr. Jean Dodds, a legend in herself and someone who has helped me greatly in my journey with my dogs. Dr. Jean Dodds, thank you so much for joining us on A Dog's Life.
1: You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. Well, you
0: know, you are a legend and speaking personally, you've helped me on my journey very much in terms of teaching me about vaccines, really. But you've been, gosh, you've been a vet now for five decades and your experience and your knowledge and what you've put back into the world for owners and their dogs is is really something exceptional. Thank you. <laughs> well, and you also run Hemopet now, um, which is a blood bank, isn't it, Jean? We're a
1: nonprofit federal charity registered in the United States and Canada and um, California. Uh, we run the uh, animal rescue, greyhound rescue, and adoption. We're an animal blood bank, uh, we're a diagnostic lab, and we develop uh, specialty diagnostic tests and education, as you know.
0: Yes, my own dog's bloods were sent to you by our holistic vet in Shropshire, Barbara Jones, only last October, as she had a bit of a hypothyroid scare, fortunately, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks You know, to you um, and your team. I know that uh, her thyroid is well within range. That's a long story, but um, I think I know the environmental stressor that caused our worries. Um, and for once, it wasn't vaccines, actually, Jean. However, um, you know, and you continue really to pioneer and lead the field talking about what what is really quite a contentious issue in a way vaccines. I mean, for, for more than any other time ever, everyone in the last three years have been thinking a lot about vaccines, right?
1: Right. I think the pandemic with the SARS-CoV-2 infection and the disease COVID-19 changed, um, even polarized the world's view about vaccinations for people and other species. And it's been very difficult for us to try to bring science back into the equation rather than people's emotions and and beliefs that are not validated scientifically. And there's a lot of them out there. And there's a rising number of anti-vaxxers, people that are totally convinced that vaccinations cause disease and death and that uh, people shouldn't be vaccinated for uh, SARS-CoV-2, for example.
0: Yes, but, you know, vaccines are arguably, you know, one of the greatest medical and veterinary inventions. Right, but but it it comes to the point where immunisation can can become compromised, gene, Don't you think by over vaccination? I think the part
1: of the problem is people and even health professionals believe that the act of giving a vaccination automatically immunises the individual, and we don't know that vaccination does not necessarily equal immunisation. You have to determine whether that person or animal is actually immunized and protected by doing uh, serum antibody titers, for example, to see what level of antibodies are present in the blood of the vaccinated individual. Or you would do challenge studies, which, of course, we wouldn't do in humans. And we really don't like to do those in animals either. What's a challenge study? Challenge study means that you expose the vaccinated individual to the actual disease agent itself, and make sure they don't get sick
0: right okay so (laughs) a bit of a risk involved there then definitely
1: absolutely but you know look you
0: you and your colleague really dr ron schultz pioneered research into the duration of immunity at a time really when vaccines were heralded to be you know almost like the holy grail Uh,
1: i think the problem is that um Everybody assumed that you would have to, well, let me back up a minute. One of the reasons why the veterinary profession especially was encouraged to give annual booster vaccinations wasn't because immunologists believed that that was necessary. It was because veterinarians got together, and I've actually seen the um, confidential responses going back and forth from the industry and the regulatory agencies under the Freedom of Information Act. And it said, well, if we don't recommend a booster, we're not gonna see our patients again. So in order for us to maintain um, a viable clinical practice, we need to have something that recommends that the patient come in annually to have a checkup. And at that time we, give the, we use the vaccinations as the raison d'etre, which of course was ridiculous. Now we say, come in for your annual wellness exam, absolutely. If you're an older animal, a geriatric, you should actually have a checkup twice a year um, because you may not recognize things that you're used to seeing that are becoming abnormal as the animal or person ages.
0: Yes. And of course, it is important, you know, to to understand that, you know, as a pet owner, that dogs do age um, quicker than we do, really. Right. But, you know, um, this whole thing, you know, with vets wanting to do an annual booster annually, the, the science is is out there, isn't it? With the WSAVA, the World Small Animal Veterinary Association, it's always a bit of a mouthful, Gene. You know, it's been out there for a ve- very long time, a good few years since at least 2008. And seven, that the evidence shows that just as we humans might have uh, a tetanus or a polio vaccine when we're really small, we, we don't have these things every year.
1: Right. Well, you know, there recently has been a um, resurgence of a few polio cases in people now that are in their 60s, 70s and 80s because the vaccines they were given when they were very young have no longer produced protective immunity. So that of course is a scientific issue. Um, and the question is, does that mean that vaccines automatically don't last a long time? Well, that's not true. And you know, when I was speaking in the UK on this subject, one of my, the people I revered so much was the late Dr. Michael Day. He was so amazing when he stood up there and said, vaccines are not given annually, they're only given when they're needed. And uh, he, he was exactly right, and we, many of us have been fighting this um, for a long time, and I've continued to write in the literature, and I still get uh, veterinary students throughout the world, even in continuing education, get told they've got to get their animals vaccinated annually.
0: I mean, this is truly extraordinary when the you know the WSAVA, for example, and of course, yes, I know, Michael Day talks sense in, in explaining, like you and Ron Schultz, about the duration of immunity.
1: Yeah, duration of immunity is an issue, and it's affected by many things, as you know, not only um, the lifestyle, for example, how well the animal is, um, what other things are going on, or person, uh, in that person's life. So... We've done quite a few duration of immunities, even for rabies vaccine, which which I know you don't have to give there, um, where we've shown that it lasts at least five years and not the three years, the, uh, the one year initially and the three years after the booster. And people say, well, why didn't it last longer than five years? Well, it could have. The problem was that the only agency that has live rabies virus for challenge studies in America is the USDA, and they didn't have any. So when Ron and Laurie Larson and and Christine and I came to the rabies challenge study at uh, six years, we didn't have any virus to challenge them to show that it lasted longer than five. So we had to report our study and publish our study showing that we know that it's at least five years duration, but the law has not changed. And people say, well, why hasn't the law been changed based on your studies, which followed all the required guidelines for changing the duration of immunity on the license? And I said, because the USDA has so many other higher priorities to deal with right now than trying to figure out whether they're going to give a license for five years for just this one vaccine that we tested.
0: I know that's uh, so limiting and that's such a shame, you know, read the rabies injection. But similarly, I suppose we're here in the UK, we're often asked to uh, display a certificate of immunisation, be it for a groomers or a daycare or, or kennels that you might want to, you know, put your dog in when you go away, which do demand these annual vaccines, thereby kind of not wanting to accept the fact that, one polyvalent combo booster jab could indeed last your dog for a lifetime, even that the puppy shots might last your dog for a lifetime. Right. There has to be this certificate.
1: Right. Well, one of the things that we've done, and when I've spoken in different parts of the world, including Israel and Italy and UK, et cetera, I've talked about the fact that veterinarians would actually make more money if they did serum antibody vaccine titers when the patient comes up say three years after the puppy shots um, to see whether a booster is necessary on the annual wellness exam because the vaccine titers actually cost more, not a lot more um, than the vaccines themselves. And so if they do that, not only is the patient better, the client is better and the clinic is fine. And the thing that's problem with that, for example, in Manhattan recently, Anna, uh, veterinarians who do not want to do serum antibody titer testing because they don't understand it, or they just think it's something out of their standard of practice, they say, oh, yeah, we can do it for you, Mrs. Jones, but it's going to cost 400 US dollars. It's much cheaper to give, give a vaccine. And so many people, not knowing, naively, say, oh, well, you better give me the vaccine, uh, doctor. I, I can't afford the $400 for this other method. It's ridiculous. It doesn't cost that.
0: Well, I mean, it's funny if it's happening in Manhattan, it's also happening in London. I can tell you, Jean, I mean, a friend of mine recently went to a practice, OK, London, you'd expect it to be a little more maybe than in the countryside. But um, again, 400 pounds for a titer. And the results came back ambiguous. They didn't fit within the high, medium and low categories exactly. And so my friend was being, you know, told she had to booster. at at one year old
1: you know the problem is we have to fight that the people in the in the community the pet guardians need to say this is ridiculous we know it doesn't cost that much find a holistic veterinarian who understands the situation where you live and have the tighter tests done there we need to put pressure on the veterinary profession the profession i love more than anything and i still do but we can't have this happen it's not fair We're doing something that is against medical standards of practice for the safety of the patient.
0: Yes, and on that note, you know, you've studied this for five decades, Gene. No one is more of an expert. No one has seen what you've termed as vaccinosis more than you have. You know, I mean, vets will maintain that vaccines are perfectly safe when actually, Gene, please explain why on occasion they might not be. Right.
1: I I don't I don't know what we can do other than keep educating in a positive way. I do webinars all over the world. I give the people the data. I give them the scientific publications which support what we're saying. This is not hearsay. This is not belief. This is fact. And for example, I mean, what about the difference between giving a modified live vaccine and a killed inactivated vaccine? Well, most of the vaccines for what we call the core essential diseases in dogs or cats are modified live viruses and why is that because a they're cheap cheaper to grow by the way uh to produce the antigens but b they have a longer list lasting immunity typically than the killed and activated vaccines for rabies you don't have any choice for example it's only a killed vaccine and there are other vaccines that are are killed also for example Leptospirosis vaccines are bacterins, it's a bacterium, not a virus, and they are killed products as well. But leptospirosis is the second most likely vaccine to cause adverse reactions after the rabies vaccine. And many of these vaccines have heavy metals in them as adjuvants. So a killed inactivated vaccine needs an adjuvant. What's an adjuvant? Somebody that boosts the immune response of something that boosts immune response of the vaccine. And so that would be heavy metals or certain um, activators like squalene or things that stimulate histamine release. And all of these adjuvants, which boost the immune response of the vaccine given at the same time, can have adverse effects. And most of the adverse effects in killed uh, non-adjuvanted vaccines are are uh, inactivated vaccines are from the adjuvants.
0: Yes, and you know it's on that note. I mean, you were so kind because with prudence, um, my bull terrier, she was born in Germany, so she had to come into the UK. Um, I'm not sure I would do it again because she had a rabies injection very young in her life. You know, to come in at four months, but you helped me find the only rabies. Vaccine—the only brand that actually didn't have mercury in it—and there was only one in Europe. And um, thank you, Jean, for helping me track it down. It was really quite a palaver to get that particular brand to that vet to then use that that brand. I can tell you now, it took quite a lot of Bull Terrier determination.
1: (laughs) Right. Well, you know, one of the things that's that's um, interesting is, for example, one of the two non. Um, heavy metal rabies vaccines one company makes both with and without mercury so you can buy the rabies vaccine with thimerosal which is a mercury salt or you can buy it without when you do vaccine clinics for example to make it easier for people to come in and get their mandated uh, vaccine for rabies which is legally required here they use the one with mercury why? because it's cheaper for them to buy It's that simple. No,
0: gosh, it was tricky. I know the brand you're talking about. I won't mention them then because there was this mix. Which one was it for Prudence? And I was so determined to make sure they got the right one. That's extraordinary that there is this cost factor. I mean, it's clear.
1: (laughs) We're a capitalistic
0: world, aren't we? Well, I know, you know, and that's what makes me upset, because without the dog, we wouldn't even have a capitalist world, gene, would we? You know, we need to think back about man's best friend and how great they are to us, you know, by herding our livestock back in the day down to market. How on earth would a human have done that on, on their own, you know, before tractors? They couldn't. So, you know, we, we need to be a bit humble here and kind of think how great dogs are. But it's interesting as well, you know, all these different lepto vaccines now. And I, do you believe that the lepto vaccine has become a core vaccine now in the UK?
1: Right. Well, you know, it, the the problem with leptospirosis is many, many places believe they've got outbreaks of leptospirosis. We're talking about North America now, for example. Nobody knows that. This is a reportable zoonotic disease that, that other individual species can get. So if, in fact, they're documented, proven cases, they have to be registered with the public health authorities. So the first thing we tell people, if you think you've got an outbreak of leptospirosis where you live, you need to check your local public health agency and see how many cases have been reported and how many of them are in dogs. It turns out there were none.
0: Wow, gosh, extraordinary, isn't it? But, you right. know, on on another note, though, you know, it's mandatory now for responsible breeders here I in understood. the UK. Yeah, but like the Kennel Club Assured Scheme breeders and so on to give the first inoculation, so the first polyvalent combo jab for the parvo and the hepatitis and the distemper at eight weeks. Now, you know, what would you say about that? And And what is the best time, you know, to actually put an injection into your dog to guarantee the best immunity?
1: Well, first of all, the uh, modified live vaccines, and we're not talking about lepto now, the distemper, parvo, et cetera, are labeled to have two doses, three to four weeks apart. So if you want to give the first dose at eight weeks, I would say nine to 10 weeks is better. Why? Because at eight weeks, most, most of those youngsters are going to new homes. They're getting new food. They may have been wormed for, assumed parasite infections because they never check the feces, they just automatically worm them when they come in. They're they're getting these um, changes when there's other stresses going on in their life. So we try to give the vaccines later, nine to 10 weeks for the first one, because unless the puppy or kitten didn't get colostrum immunity from the mother at birth, they've got residual immunity because those parents have been over-vaccinated probably already. And we know that. So the immunity to the vaccines that the mothers have had is gonna last 14 to 16 weeks. And so if you give the first vaccination at eight weeks, it's mostly gonna be neutralized. And all you have left with is all the other things in the vaccine that are activators that are not part of the immune response. You're gonna cause potential adverse reactions. So that's number one. So we wanna give them later. And just so you know, that the modified live vaccines have a much longer uh, life then they only have to be given every three years after the initial boosters are done and you're doing the blood tests. Leptospirosis vaccines do not last that long. So now that it's in the core where you are, they have to be given annually. So this is the vaccine that can cause adverse reactions, hypersensitivity primarily, um, right after the vaccination or up to 10 days afterwards, typically, and you have to give it annually or you won't get sufficient immunization and sustained immunity and protection. The other thing I'd like to remind our reader, our listeners is that leptospirosis is a very easily killed organism with antibiotics. And so as Dr. Ron Schultz used to say, if you aren't sure that a an sick animal has leptospirosis, you haven't proven it, put them on an antibiotic like doxycycline or a tetracycline or a penicillin, test the blood, take the blood, test it to see if the antigen for leptospirosis is present. If it's not, you continue the antibiotic for seven days. You don't stop it too soon because then you can develop resistant strains later on. You give it for seven days and then you stop. If the leptospirosis test was positive, which would be unusual, you continue the treatment for longer, for 14 to 21 days. So that's a simple alternative approach if the regulatory bodies in the UK, for example, would consider that.
0: Yes, interesting. I mean, it's kind of a bit like test before you treat, isn't it, Jean, a bit? You know, I mean, we don't want to segue into wormers and flea treatments necessarily. But again, all of these things over time, you know, and it's over time, you know, a lepto injection every year,
1: it's going to affect the genome, isn't it? Absolutely. See that, but that's the other issue. Right now, there's a huge worldwide flap about giving the mRNA-based vaccinations to cattle and sheep seeing the mRNA vaccines were so important for SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19. And those vaccines were produced incredibly quickly and have done a major job in saving millions of lives. No question. The problem is that the um, vaccine naysayers now say that we don't want to give the mRNA vaccines to cattle and sheep. Um, that's a good question. For example, What do we know about the lifespan of those animals once they've been given an mRNA vaccine? How long do the cattle and sheep live, for example? Is it a normal lifespan? We don't know that yet. And what happens when people and animals eat the flesh of individuals that have been vaccinated with these vaccines? Do we know what will happen there? No, we do not. There's no data yet. So it doesn't mean that it's unsafe to do that, but there are serious questions yet about what's going on to the food chain for pets and people if we're eating meats, um, you know, that have been vaccinated with these new types of vaccines that affect the gene and the genome.
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean, it. it is extraordinary, really. I mean, what would they want to use the vaccine for in cattle? TB or... Well, the con-
1: the concept is that they, they'll help reduce things like a feline leukemia virus and other um, viruses like retroviruses that stay in the body forever. And could we use these newer vaccine advances to prevent the um, shedding of these leukemia type, for example, lymphoma leukemia type vaccines in um, domestic farm animals? We don't know the answer to that. I mean, I have the answer, we're vegetarians. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, the, the, what worries me there is my dogs aren't vegetarians, Gene, and they could be eating vaccines in the future. And they already, I'm sure, you know, I, I choose from a very good uh, raw food supplier, Gene. You know, you'd be proud because I know nutrition is, is a big agenda for you as well. You know, we are what we eat. Right. But, you know, inevitably there'll be some toxins coming in through their food because we do live in a toxic soup now we can't get away from it but adding more toxic to the soup surely isn't a garnish that we really want to encourage
1: right see the other thing we don't know now that we've depleted the ozone layer um, all the living beings on the earth including the plants are affected by what's going on in the air and the earth and the sea yes
0: Mm, mm. and the
1: fish you know i mean fish yes of course absolutely You know, we've had we've had the manatees dying in Florida. Uh, They're an endangered species because they can't get enough to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, We've got the red tide, uh, uh, the red algae that are toxic. So we've got dead whales ending up on the beaches in New Jersey. Nobody knows why. Gosh, I mean,
0: we've had extraordinary things over here. Actually, recently, a walrus, okay, got lost and ended up in Yorkshire, like okay. and was and was sitting on this pier. And um, it was bonfire night, actually, and the council was really sympathetic and stopped any fireworks displays happening for for worry that it would disturb this amazing walrus that just hung out (laughs) on this little beach all these boats and, and people taking photographs for a good few days but you know he he really had got awfully lost and it is a worry isn't it
1: Right, very. And I think if people think that maybe their animals have had an adverse vaccine reaction, for example, um, they need to worry about or try to get on hand, have it, have it with them, the um, homeopathics to detox the molecular energy of the vaccine. And we call that the miasma, the molecular miasma of the vaccine antigens. And one of them would be Thuja, T-H-U-J-A, that's Thuja Occidentalis. And you do that for all vaccines and you give it, um, we recommend giving it the day before, the day of the vaccination and for five days, total of five to seven days total. Um, The pet guardian can get these homeopathics and have them on hand and use them. They're perfectly safe. And what they will do is help offset any adverse reactions that occur and seeing, Rabies is not your issue. We have a second homeopathic that we use for rabies called Lyssin, L-Y-S-S-I-N, because the rabies virus is a Lyssa virus. It's called Lyssinum also. So maybe if you're getting, um, people are getting puppies into the UK from countries where they've been given a rabies vaccine, they could consider having the homeopathic Lyssin available as well. Same thing, day before, day of vaccination, up to five to seven days afterwards.
0: It's so interesting how homeopathy works energetically, Gene, to balance, you know. Right. But a question is here, look, is it true still that vaccines are not made in small, medium, and large?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. You know, that's another part of the his- history going back to the agencies involved. People just assumed that they would make a vaccine for an average-sized animal. And I can remember Ron and I arguing at veterinary meetings where he would be on the program and I would be on the program. And I would always ask him to go first so that I could um, add more information after his talk, so to speak. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And one day he gave a talk and he said, vaccines are not based on body size. The same amount of vaccine is given to a Chihuahua and a St. Bernard. And people said, why? And he said, because the immune system doesn't work that way. So I said to myself, that doesn't make any sense. Um, so when the question and answer came, he, I stood up and he said, I know what she's gonna say. She's gonna tell me I'm wrong about the same dose of vaccine for animals of all different sizes. I said, you're right. And I'm gonna ask you this question. Seeing the same amount of vaccine antigen is exposed to the white blood cells of the Chihuahua and exposed to the white blood cells of the St. Bernard. Are you telling me that the St. Bernard has white blood cells that are the size of turkey platters because it's a big dog versus a chihuahua has tiny white blood cells that doesn't make any sense the white blood cell count is basically the same in a normal individual, same number per cubic millimeter so therefore the antigen's got to have many more sites to stimulate the chihuahua than it does the saint bernard he couldn't answer me there's no Uh answer it's obviously right
0: yeah, and you've done studies, have you, have you not? I yes. mean, I've got a little 4.8 kilo dog, Gene. He was a rehome, so I was very lucky to get his vaccination history when I took him on, but it was horrendous. Right. He'd had absolutely everything for a two-and-a-half-year-old dog apart from rabies, everything, um, kennel cough, lepto, everything. And he, right. he was a bit poorly. He's got leg perth disease, and... um. He, he wasn't well, but he's great now, and he hasn't had any vaccines since, and he's 11, so he
1: he hasn't died. <laughs> yeah, right. No, him. he's fine. Yeah. And our study showed that we could give um, dogs that weighed less than 12 pounds as, as adults, any breed, we could give them half a dose of distemper and parvo, which are not legally required, right? So we could do that and see whether they had equivalent immunity, and they were completely similar immunity up to six months afterwards, exactly the same as the animals that were given the full dose.
0: So could you talk to your veterinarian if you have a small dog and, you know, you want to do the puppy shots? Absol-
1: yeah, absolutely. And if the veterinarian says, um, no, I don't do that, then you need to find a holistic veterinarian that will do that and, and change. We have to be the drivers here. Yes. We, the community of everybody, pet guardians, veterinarians, other health professionals, veterinary technicians, veterinary nurses, we need to ask these questions and we need to insist that somebody prove that the same dose has to be given to all all sizes. And obviously it's not true. Now, rabies in in our country, for example, and the rest, you cannot change the dose because legally they have to get a full dose. So a two-pound or a four-pound dog gets the same dose of rabies vaccine with the mercury most of the time as the St. Bernard. Totally ridiculous. But then again, you're dealing with a disease that's 100% fatal, basically, to all mammals. Yes. So, you know, it, it, it's a dilemma. Now, some people say, oh, well, you just don't have to show, tell them. Take the dog outside and just have some of the vaccine drip down the side of the coat and don't tell them. I said, first of all, you can't ever recommend that. You lose your license, okay? What you do, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but you have to look after the patient's best interests.
0: Absolutely. And it's always a risk to benefit. I think everything is, um, isn't it? Whether you, you know, getting your dog's teeth cleaned, there's always a risk involved, Jean, and a mm-hmm. risk with vaccinations or any drug
1: really, because they all do have side effects. We had a, a um, case recently in a miniature dachshund where three puppies were born, one was born dead, one lived five weeks, and one was left alive at seven months of age now, weighs 4.6 pounds. The dog went into a specialty clinic for a checkup because it was acting sort of dopey after it ate food. And it was given every single vaccine, influenza, DHPP, lepto, corona, and rabies on the same day, and it was given a flea and tick product. The dog oh. collapsed a day, late, a day later. And it turns out, by the way, we now have the puppy down in Southern California. This was in Northern California. It has a porticaval shunt. It was born with a congenital liver shunt. So its liver could not handle all these toxic insults at the same time. He, he's still alive, thank God. He's eating five meals a day now of vis- highly digestible food and, of course, won't get any more vaccines.
0: No, no, no. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I'm really glad he's pulling through, you know, because the odds are against him, really.
1: (laughs) Well, the only reason we got the dog, I'll tell you quite frankly, was because in Northern California, where the dog was, the specialty clinic wanted $1,500 to do an ultrasound.
0: Right. Gosh, (laughs) Well I, <laughs> well, I mean, I think, whatever. I mean, well, whatever. But I mean, that sounds about the sort of price you'd pay in London at the moment. I think their prices are, are not going up in line with
1: inflation. You know, they, they have really taken a jump. The problem was they wouldn't accept that the over-vaccination had anything to do with it, nor this flea and tick product, which is the number one product of adverse reactions to the FDA. It's caused 6,000 deaths. They still give it, even though the warning is on the label, because the, cha- the label change only occurred within the last year. Um, so if they haven't looked at the labels of the new, you know, batch they bought, they wouldn't have seen the warnings.
0: Gosh, yes. Well, that's, that's, well, it's just testament, isn't it? To test before you treat. And I think, you know, a lot of new dog owners, they don't know about worm counts. They don't know that, you know, a raw fed dog perhaps is less likely to get fleas and a dog that doesn't live with a cat is very unlikely ever to get fleas. Really? Um, Isn't that right, Jean?
1: That's correct. And what happens is the um, worried Pet guardian listens to the veterinary professional and says, well, we don't see any fleas, but I'm sure the dog is scratching. And that's why it is when, of course, the dog could have a food intolerance. Right. Yes. Or just have an itch, you know, (laughs) Yeah, just an itch. Absolutely. Uh, Reacting to grasses outside or weeds or pollens or whatever. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. But that's why it's so important, isn't it, to nurture the microbiome, which, of course, vaccines must absolutely destroy those little hairy bugs that we're all reliant on in our tummy gene. But but diet and and obviously balancing everything holistically in life can really make the big difference.
1: Well, you know, in defense of our profession, we had another case recently where uh, the person said, I've been doing um, Dr. Dodd's NutriScan test to identify which foods my pets should or shouldn't eat. And the person said, oh, I've read about that. The dermatologists say it's it's a scam. It's useless and whatever. So she didn't say anything. She said, I'll get you the scientific literature. So I sent a copy of our refereed publications on the dog and the cat on NutriScan. And you know what this veterinarian did said, you know, thank you so much because I had a closed mind here and I didn't realize that there was scientifically justified data to support this what I'm do- what you're doing. And in fact, your pet is so much better, I'm gonna now start doing the test myself.
0: Well, NutraScan is brilliant. Again, that's um, something I've used, you know, and it's really showing your kind of preeminence, really, in understanding how different foods react at a cellular level and where some dogs might be absolutely fine with blueberries, you know, some dogs but, may have a reaction to a blueberry. So, you know, if you're looking yes. for an antioxidant, choose one that's going to really work for your
1: individual dog. Absolutely. And and even our our own personal internist, who we go for checkups regularly, said to me the other day, well, you told me some years ago you were gluten intolerant. He said, are you celiac? I said, Dr. X, I told you I wasn't. I told you I became gluten intolerant when I was 60. And the actual data show that women over 35, many of them become gluten intolerant as they get older. And they themselves have stopped eating glutens and all of a sudden they feel much better. Their weight doesn't change. They get their memory and cognition back. They get a waist back and their energy back and their ankles don't swell up. Well, that's
0: always a good thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway, he was amazed. He said, oh, OK. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, I think the thing is, everyone needs to understand that there's change and that nothing stands still. And I think particularly in an age where you're right, the world was divided over the COVID vaccine. I mean, I read stories of people getting divorced, Gene, you know, because husbands and wives couldn't agree whether to take the vaccine or not. And it, it caused a lot of problems. People fell out and haven't fallen back in again. And I just think... It's about information, isn't it, Jean, really, and particularly for pet parents.
1: Yep. But you know what? We've come a long way, Anna.
0: Yes, I know. I know. It is better out there. I mean, the fact that a lot of vets absolutely will do a titer test. I just wish perhaps I had more confidence that they were really taught at vet school that the titer test would fit with a wellness um, checkup and all the rest of it rather than still promoting annual vaccination.
1: Right. Well, but, you know, the, the human health industry isn't any different.
0: Mm, no. Yes. Well, I mean, I try not to go to my doctor, Jean, if I can. I don't really. I try and eat well. And, you know, yes. and and that's really the key. I think, you know, really, I think right. diet can keep right. you on the right path, providing right. you avoid the obvious environmental yeah. stressors.
1: Right, right, getting, getting exercise whatever. You know, the pandemic with the shutdown caused so much of us to live with our pets together indoors for so long that people started to realize what their pets were really doing when they went to work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, and then when they went to work, of course, lots of pets got terrible separation anxiety. Yes, a- absolutely. Uh, but you know yeah. what? Many people learned when they were at home that they could do their work remotely and they didn't have to necessarily go into the office anymore which is very interesting so the culture has changed so much hasn't it
0: oh it's so changed it really has and i i just think though a lot of people are doing shift works and can have their dogs and spend two days working from home and whatever but over here anyway we're seeing a lot of third party services for dogs at the moment like dog right. walkers and creches and so right. on so people almost think it's normal now not to walk your own dog you know which for right. me I, I it's one of my bugbears <laughs> I just think you know getting a dog it's mandatory really to walk your own dog for loads of reasons not least for your own health but for your dog's well-being and getting to know your dog and working well, through you different- hire
1: people to come and walk your dog we have people dog walkers that come and walk five or six dogs at a time every day you know
0: Mm, I know but then that individual dog isn't really getting the enrichment. No I know
1: no no I don't disagree I'm just saying we, we've tried to adapt and, and take the concepts of more exercise and fresh air and all the good things we should be doing for ourselves and our pets uh, together.
0: Yeah exactly exactly and try and you know um, compartmentalize it but as you say as well we are capitalists aren't we us humans you know so any opportunity to
1: set up you know a new business service like I guess people say don't you remember that the bible says that we have dominion over the animals i said no 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 but the bible meant was that that we are their stewards and it's our responsibility to look after them
0: yes and it really is and i must say jean look you know you've really done that in droves and inspired so many people you know on so many levels vets vet nurses you know humble wellness people like myself and you are really a legend and without your tenacity and determination to make change well we wouldn't be having this chat for a start
1: (laughs) (laughs) good I'm so glad to be available to help and to help anybody that's our mission in life it's not a messiah complex it's just working together loving each other being transparent and caring for each other Exactly, hear, hear Well, Jean, thank
0: you again And I can't wait, you know I must just say, by the way Your book, Canine Nutrigenomics Is still, without doubt My go-to to help with A weight loss regime or whatever Thank you Well, all the links will be in the show notes And thank you again, Jean, for joining us today Okay, take care, everybody That's our show, Mr. Binks What did you think? Yes, Jean really is an oracle, and what thought-provoking stuff, indeed. Yes, and you're right, it is time for Woof of the Week. If we believe we should test before we treat, then tighter testing makes so much sense. Ensure that your dog is immunized, but not over-vaccinated. Well, I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, go on, rate and review the show. It means so much. Wherever you tune into your podcast. Thanks again, of course, to Dr. Gene Dodds, and all the links are in the show notes. Thanks, of course, to my producer Mike Hansen for all the music and production as ever. Find out more about him at PodPeople UK. And for me, I'm just at Anna Webb Dogs. What's that, Mr. Pinks? Yes, you can check out our Patreon feature, which the link is in the show notes. And you're right, Mr. Binks, we will be back in your feed next Sunday. So I agree with you, Mr. Binks. Why don't you subscribe now? Because it's free and you'll never miss another show. Bye for now.